Well, this morning, millions of people woke up in the dark and they attended a sunrise service. Why? Because it was at the break of dawn of a brand new day that we heard the news that Jesus had resurrected. And folks, it changed everything. I want to read to you part of the story here. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to see the tomb. Suddenly there was an earthquake when an angel moved the giant stone away from the opening of the tomb and then sat on the stone. The Bible says that the angel's face shone like lightning and his clothes were brilliant white. When the Roman guards saw this happen, they shook with fear and fainted. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He has been raised from the dead just as he said it would happen. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are walking to the tomb. And lo and behold, they find it empty. And it was the dawn of a new day in their life and in their journey with Christ. And you know the rest of the story, don't you? For 40 days, Jesus hung around, appearing to different ones, giving them proof of his resurrection. Truly, Easter is the most important event of all time. Because it, it proved who Jesus claimed to be. You see, throughout Jesus' ministry, he says, you know what? I'm God. Now, a lot of people uh, throughout history have claimed to be God, but only Jesus proved it. He says, here's the deal. Just to prove to you that I am who I said I am, that I'm God, and that everything I said about life on this side of eternity and everything that's going to happen on e in eternity future, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow myself to be put to death, and on the third day, I'm coming back. And that is exactly what happened. It is truly the most important event in all of human history. It broke history up into two parts, A.D. and B.C. And this weekend, 2.3 billion people are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And folks, it all happened on a new day. This Easter, I want to talk about a new day in your life. I want you to journey and take a walk to an empty tomb and experience on, a, uh, on this new day the love and mercy of God. Because that is why he came. When Jesus entered into the world, Zechariah the prophet said this out of Luke chapter 1. A new day will dawn on us because our God is loving and merciful. Will you circle those two words? You see, most people don't understand the love and mercy of God. That's why they're afraid of God. That's why they keep their distance from God. That's why they ignore God because they don't understand the love and mercy of God. When you understand the love and mercy of God, your anxiety will decrease and your peace of mind will increase. Your frustrations will diminish and your satisfaction will be enlarged. Your stress will go down and your stability will go up. When you understand the love and the mercy of God. You see, what is 
the love and mercy of God. Well, folks, it's going to take me eight weeks to unpack this thing. That is why you don't want to miss next week in that series, everybody, love everybody, and always. But one definition is simply this, undeserved, kind, uh, undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. When someone forgives you and you don't deserve it, that's called love and mercy. When someone shows you kindness that you haven't earned, that's called love and mercy. You and I need love and mercy every single second of our life. In fact, the air that you breathe, the water that you drink, the fact that you exist is the result of the love and mercy of God. Everything that you have is a gift because of the love and mercy of God. And so this Easter, as a result of an empty tomb, I want you to experience a new day in your life. A new day of God's love and mercy by asking two questions. When do I need the love and mercy of God? And what difference does it make? Well, I could literally give you hundreds of reasons of why and what it looks like. But this morning, I want to give you three biblical pictures out of Jesus' ministry. Because, folks, that's why he came and that's why he resurrected. I want to give you three biblical stories and one 21st century story. So, one way that we see God's love and mercy is when I'm ashamed. Will you write this down? I need the love and mercy of God when I'm when I've messed up. Now the reality is none of us are perfect. None of us bats a thousand. Folks, I think it was my third breath in life that, that I became imperfect, okay? I don't measure up to, to God's standards, let alone my own standards. And by the way, either do you. We all have flops, failures, and fumbles. That's why the Bible says we, we've all sinned. That's why the Bible says that if, if we say that we haven't sinned, we are deceiving ourselves. That's why the Bible says that we all stumble in many ways. Would everybody agree with that one? I mean, how many of you have ever stumbled in your words and immediately thought to yourself, I wish I hadn't have said that? How many of you have stumbled in your attitudes, in your actions? How many of you have stumbled in your emotions? Have you ever given the wrong emotional response to your spouse and they told you so? Folks, we all stumble in many ways. We all get caught up in things that we shouldn't get caught up. We all get tripped up in things. My question is this. How does God respond when you and I mess up? Well, he responds with the love and mercy. He responds with love and mercy. Today we're going to see a story about this, and I want you to go on a journey with me. I want you to place yourself in this story. It's out of John chapter 8 with, uh, with a humiliated woman, and let's get started. One day Jesus was teaching a crowd outside the temple, and some Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in adultery. Now Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were religious scholars, they were legalists, they were hyper-judgmental, they were hyper-critical, and they hated Jesus, and they were always trying to trap him in something. They put her on display in front of the crowd, then said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. 
The law of Moses says to stone her. So what do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. Now, before we read the rest of this story, I want you to notice a couple of things. Circle the word caught. It's mentioned twice. And circle the word trapped. There are two traps being laid here by these Pharisees. The first one is with this humiliated woman who has been caught in a wrong relationship. And the other one is with Jesus. They are trying to catch him in a wrong emotional reaction. Now, I want you to get into the story. I I want you to get there, so I'm going to do that by asking you this question. What do you get caught up in that trips you up? What do you get caught up in that causes you to stumble? Some person that you're always around and your tension goes right up through the roof. Some wrong relationship. Some topic matter that always gets under your skin and irritates the living daylights out of you. Some habit the approval of others, competition with others. This woman here obviously is caught in a wrong relationship. So what happens? But Jesus stooped down and started writing in the dirt with with his finger. They kept badgering Jesus, demanding an answer. Why? Because they're trying to emotionally get a wrong response out of him. Finally, Jesus stood up and said, here's my answer. If any one of you has never sinned, then you may throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and continued writing in the dirt. Folks, I absolutely love this. But nobody knows what Jesus wrote in the dirt because the Bible doesn't tell us. But let me tell you what I believe he wrote in the dirt and also give you a dollar eight so that you can buy a cup of coffee at McDonald's, okay? I believe that Jesus wrote in the dirt the sin of every one of those who were accusing this humiliated woman. And as he was writing it down with his finger in the dirt, they were reading it. Their sins, judgmentalism, legalism, tax abuse, spousal abuse, some secret habit that was going in their life. You see, I believe because Jesus was God, he knew the sin of every accuser there, and he was writing them down for them to see. And after they saw them, he stood up and he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Folks, he is going right for the heart, isn't he? Now, I want you to notice, though, that even in this public situation, that he is defending the, the, the dignity of two people, the accusers and the humiliated woman. He is defending the accusers. He wrote out their sin, but he didn't say, you are judgmental, and you have adultery in your life, and you over there, you are a legalist, and you do tax evasion, and you have some secrets in folks. He could have done that in a heartbeat. But even with her accusers, he is protecting their dignity. And he protects the dignity of this woman. Has she been caught in a wrong relationship? Absolutely she has. But he protects her dignity even in front of these judgmental accusers. Now let me just stop here for a moment. If you call yourself a Christ follower... You must protect the dignity of every person, regardless of who they are and what they have done, because that's what Jesus did. So what was their response? Well, when the accusers heard this, they began to slip away 
one by one, beginning with the oldest until it was just Jesus and the woman. Folks, they all leave. They leave from the oldest first down to the youngest. Why? Why the older first? It's because the older you are, the more aware you are of how you have messed up. And the less energy you have to pretend that you've got it all together. And so these older ones saw their sin written out in, in the dirt and said, yep, that's me. I'm out of here. But it took more than that to convince the young ones. But they left. And Jesus now is left alone with this woman. One on one. What does he do? At that point, Jesus stood back up and quietly said to her, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, Lord, she said. Will you circle the word Lord? Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go on and leave your sinful ways. He says to her, you know what? You are better than this. He didn't give her this long sermon on adultery. He didn't give a 10-point outline on how to get out of a bad relationship. He doesn't condemn her. He says, you know what? You're better than this. Don't do this anymore. Folks, I love Jesus for this. Because that's what he does when you and I mess up. He doesn't condemn and he doesn't condone. You know what he does? He changes us. He didn't condemn this woman. He didn't condone this woman. He changed this woman. And that is why she called him Lord. And that is exactly what God does for you when you accept his love and his mercy. A new day will dawn in your life where you will not feel the condemnation nor will you hear God condoning it. But what you will see in your life is that he will change you. Will you write this down? The God's love and mercy forgive me and frees me. It forgives me of my guilt and it frees me to give me the power to change my future. This is what Jesus came in to the world to do. This is why Jesus went to the cross. This is why he resurrected from the grave. Take a look at this out of Isaiah 61 verse 1. I was sent to announce freedom to all held captive and forgiveness to all who've been imprisoned, trapped, caught, ashamed. You see, what is holding you in a prison this morning? Some of you may be imprisoned by regrets because you can't forgive yourself. Still others may be in a prison of resentment because you can't forgive that other person. Still others may be in a prison of envy. Why can't their spouse be like my spouse? Or worry or some secret habit. You see, what does God have to say about those things? Simply this, that he did not come, like it says in John 12, to judge the world, but to save it. You see, I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to judge anybody. I want to be one who points them to their Savior. This is what the psalmist says. Take a look at Psalms 86 and verse 5. Oh Lord, you are so good and kind, so ready to forgive 
so full of mercy for all who ask your aid. Will you circle that word, ask? I don't know what you are ashamed of this morning, but I can tell you this, that if you come to the empty tomb on, on this day and you ask for God's love and God's mercy, he will show sympathy because he is a merciful and kind God. In your bulletin is a little piece of paper. It's just gray looking, kind of looks like a tomb. Can I encourage you? I want you to be in the story. Write down, in code, what you're ashamed of. Because this is a new day. The second way that we see that we need the love and mercy of God is when we are angry. Now, almost all anger comes from fear and frustration. And fear and frustration is no more than a sign that needs are not being met in our life. And so will you write this down? I need God's love and mercy when I don't have what I need. Now the fact of the matter is none of us have all that we need. We don't have all that we need within ourselves. We are incomplete. I don't have all the, the talents that I need to realize my dreams. I don't have all the abilities that I need to, to, to realize my full redemptive potential. That is why I need other people in my life. On top of that, we are broken people. We have disabilities. We have mental disabilities, okay? We don't, we don't always think the right way. We have uh, emotional disabilities. That is why we fall into the same old patterns again and again and again. Uh, the same old arguments, basically with the same old people. We have physical disabilities. Have you noticed that your body doesn't always work right? You see, why is this? It's because God wants us to depend on him. And why is that? It's because when we depend on him, it puts a smile on his face. You see, it's just like a parent or a, just like a child trusting a parent to do something for them that they can't do. When that happens, that parent just smiles. They are endeared to them. I mentor three people. I, I mentor a six-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a young adult. I had uh, the mother of, of this six-year-old call me up and says, you know what, he's having a rough time in school. George, could you spend some time with him? I said, absolutely, be glad to. I showed up this past week, as busy as it was. I showed up, and when I walked in, I said, Pastor George, good to see you here. Can you help me put on my shoes? And could you tie them for me? I don't know how. My heart, boom, 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 boom. you bet. Folks, in the very same way, when you and I depend on God, it puts a smile on his face. It endears him to you. Now, if you don't depend on God, if all you do is depend on yourself, can I just say this? You're going to have a very small life, and you're going to have a frustrated life. Because you don't have all that you need, even within yourself, to meet all of your needs and to control your world. And if you try to do that, to meet all your needs, inwardly and outwardly, it's only going to lead to frustration and resentment and bitterness and disappointment. And there's a story of a disappointed man that I want us to come into. I want us to be a part of this story. It's in John chapter 5 disappointed man. Let's read this. 
in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered porches. I've been there. A large crowd of all sorts of disabled people would lie by the pool waiting for a miracle. There was a legend that every once in a while an angel would stir up the water and whoever was the first to get into the water while it was still moving would get what they needed and be made whole. One poor man had been waiting for, by that pool for 38 years. Folks, that is a long time to wait. Wouldn't you agree? 38 years. Now let's enter into the story. What unmet need has been going on in your life that hasn't been met for a long, long, long time? You keep expecting someone or something to meet that need, and it hasn't happened yet. If I can only get married, if I can only get unmarried, if I can only have a baby, I can only adopt out the kids I already have. <laughs> Folks, this guy is disappointed. He's been lie- laying by that pool for 38 years. He has been putting his faith into something that hasn't come through, and it sure hasn't been God. Let me make this point. If you put your trust in anything other than God, I guarantee you this, you will be disappointed. But imagine his disappointment. He's been by that pool 38 years. His life has passed him by. Have you ever felt that way before? As you look at your life filled with some of the regrets, the shame that you have, the opportunities that you just let go by, and now you find yourself in a station of life right where you're at now, and you're thinking, life has passed me by. You see, what secret disappointments would be in your heart? There was some in this guy's heart. If we did an x-ray of your heart, what secret disappointment would be revealed? Pastor George, I'm really disappointed in my marriage. It didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Pastor George, I'm disappointed in me. I, I thought I'd be further along in this area of my life than I am right now. Pastor George, I'm I'm disappointed in my family. I raised them to be better than this. You see, what does Jesus do with your disappointment? Well, let's read the story. When Jesus saw this man and heard that he'd been lying there for such a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? Hello? Pastor George, isn't it obvious that this guy wants to get well? I don't think so. Well, what do you mean, Pastor George? Wellness means that you have to change. Folks, I know a lot of people who want to be healthy, healthy personally in their personal habits. I know a lot of people who want to be healthy in their relationships, in their marriages, with their finances. But guess what? They're unwilling to change. They want everything else around them to change. They want other people to change. In fact, they seek to orchestrate that change because they haven't realized and discovered the truth that you can't change people. You can only change yourself. When they come into my office, I oftentimes ask, well, why don't you change? And you know what they do? They never answer the question. They just get right to excuses. 
And that's what this guy does. Jesus asks him a very simple question. Do you want to get well? That is a yes or no answer. But notice his response. Sir, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get there, somebody else always gets ahead of me. What in the world is he doing here? Jesus asked him a simple question, yes or no, okay? He starts blaming other people. Well, if my spouse, if my husband, or if my wife, if the economy wasn't this bad, if my kids, you see, who are you blaming? You and I are as happy as we choose to be. I have traveled around the world in mission trips, around the world. I've seen all kinds of people in poverty. In fact, I go down to Haiti frequently because we have an orphanage down there that we, as a church, are totally responsible. 54 kids, housing, education, water, food, teaching, the whole nine yards. And when I go down there, you know what? They're extremely happy. Why? Because happiness is a choice. This guy wasn't happy. He's blaming everybody else. And not only that, he is envious of others who are getting ahead of him. In fact, he says, while I'm trying to get into the pool, someone jumps in front of me. Have you ever felt that way before? Especially when you're parked on the toll road paying five bucks to get there quickly and in traffic. And you're trying to exit and some guy zips around you and cuts you off. Why is it that other people get ahead? Why do they have the babies? Why are they getting married? Why do they get the promotions? Why do they get the new house and the new car? Folks, this guy is one unhappy camper because he doesn't have his needs met. And yet, what does Jesus do in his love and mercy? Jesus simply said, stand up, pick up your mat, and start walking. When the man trusted Jesus, he was immediately able to walk again. What seemed impossible became possible when he trusted in Jesus. I want you to watch and listen to this 21st century story of a man named Perry who found himself in a dark place but came to the light of a new day. Take a look at this. I was born into a Catholic family in New Orleans. My sisters and I attended Catholic schools and you could say we were good Catholics. So I learned many facts about the Bible and Jesus. Through it all, I never felt close to God. He seemed distant, stern, and unapproachable. My school years were consumed with studies and basketball. While a high school junior, I left home to play basketball for a prep school in Wisconsin. What a change. It felt like freedom, just being released from all the church rituals that I'd come to consider meaningless. I was glad to be away and charting my own course. While I had been a practicing Catholic, it was here that I rejected all that church represented. I did not voluntarily attend another service for the next 17 years. Eventually, I got a full basketball scholarship to Rice. What took shape in college was a self-centered, impulsive, and loveless person. Simply said, I knew best and I knew it all. I was going to depend on myself. I rejected the gospel 
In fact, I rejected the concept of God entirely and set myself up on my own throne. Everything in my world centered on my perceived needs and desires. I married in college and my first job called for extensive travel. Before long, I was routinely cheating on my wife, getting drunk and doing drugs whenever that opportunity was present. My thoughts became occupied with the next tryst, the next escapade, and the next risky adventure. Another truth, darkness mutes your senses and corrodes your moral compass. Sadly, I did not even feel remorse. Eight years later, I was divorced, but this did not rock my world. It just meant I had a free reign to pursue darkness at every turn. I really thought I was living the life, but really I was in free fall. After a few years, I remarried, only to be divorced in a few months. Now I was twice divorced and broke. All I considered valuable just crumbled. I realized how lonely, hurting, hopeless, and lost I really was. There was a giant hole in my heart that I could not fill. I was in total darkness, and it was here, right here in the midst of my greatest need, that the Lord graciously intervened. The thought of ever attending a Bible service never had crossed my mind, but a friend invited me to join them. I was scared and reluctant, but I felt drawn to go. The pastor preached from scripture. It was my first exposure to God's word as I had never owned a Bible. God's call overcame all my fear. The desire to have a relationship with Jesus welled up in my heart. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior in February of 1986 and was baptized shortly thereafter. My life has changed dramatically. Where I once scoffed at the notion of God and salvation, it is my heart's desire that everyone come to know what the Lord opened my eyes to, His salvation and the gift of eternal life that comes only by grace through faith in Jesus. By any measure, my life today is more enjoyable and more fulfilling than I ever thought possible. As I learned to increasingly depend on the Lord, He led me to retire April 1st of last year. It was the Lord who spoke to me through Pastor George about living a life of greater significance. It was suddenly my heart's desire to be available to the Lord to use in His work. It is so satisfying to get out of the darkness and live in the light. It has been a real blessing to follow Christ as He now charts my path. If you find yourself groping in darkness today, if you find yourself lost and hopeless and in circumstances similar to mine, you have a decision to make. Do I continue to grope in darkness hoping that life's circumstances will improve? Or do I answer the call to come into the light of Christ? see, Perry experienced the dawn of a new day because of the love and mercy of God. Will you write this down? God's love and mercy makes the impossible possible because he can do things that you can't do. He has power that you don't have. He has resources that you don't have. What makes, what's the impossible problem in your life that you've been 
struggling with for 38 years? What's that pool that you've been laying by? Peter says this in 2 Pete. As you get to know Jesus better, he will give you through his great power everything you need. Will you circle that? For living a truly good life. Notice that it comes as you trust in him. You see, when I don't have what I need and I give myself to the love and mercy of God, he makes the impossible possible. Now there is a third problem that you and I have, and it is the problem of fear. And the reality is we all here have secret fears in our life, but oftentimes what we think is this, my fears are rational and your fears are stupid, okay? That's how we think. Mine are rational, yours are stupid. But we all have fears. We all have the fear of the unknown, and the greatest fear of the unknown is death. Will you write this down? I need God's love and mercy when facing death. You see, death is inevitable. Last time I looked, 100% of us are going to die. And it is unpredictable. We don't know when we're going to die, and we don't know how we're going to die. Death is unpredictable, and it is inevitable. And without faith, it's fearful. If you don't know God, and if you haven't made peace with God, you're going to be fearful about death. There is a story in the Bible about this. It is in Luke 23. It's a story about a dying man. Jesus is on the cross. To his left is a criminal who's been sentenced to death. To his right is another criminal who's been sentenced to death. One of them ridicules him, and the other one asks Jesus for his love and his mercy. Let's pick up this story. One of the criminals being executed on the cross beside Jesus ridiculed him, saying, if you're supposed to be the Messiah, why don't you save yourself and us too? But the second criminal rebuked him. Man, don't you even fear God when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. He's saying to that other criminal, buddy, don't you know how serious this is? You and I are about ready to meet God face to face. Why are you blaspheming him? You see, the reason why a lot of people ignore God the reason why a lot of people make fun of God is because they believe that death is the end. Folks, it is not. Well, how do you know, Pastor George? Because Jesus proved it. And I'm betting on my life that Jesus wasn't a liar. What are you betting your life on? You see, death is the gateway to a, the dawn of a new day to eternity future, and if you are wrong about God, and if you are wrong about death, guess what? You don't get a mulligan. God says, we, this guy says, we deserve to die for what we've done wrong, but this guy between us is innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame other people. He says, hey, I'm falsely accused. This isn't right. This is unjust. No, he owns it. And he says, I want you to know the guy between us, he's innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong, i.e., he is God. And he turns to Jesus and he says those famous words, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus immediately responds to him by saying, I guarantee you that today you will be with me in paradise. Folks, that's what I call a last minute love and mercy. He is getting in by the skin of his teeth. Now I want you to think about that. Think about if you were there on that cross. That thief could have asked for anything from Jesus. He recognized him as God who's perfect. I don't know anybody else who's perfect other than Jesus. He could have asked him for a miracle because all Jerusalem knew of Jesus' miracles, folks. They knew of his miracles of healing the sick, of, of healing the blind. They knew uh, of Jesus rise, raising people from the dead. He could have asked him for anything, but he doesn't. He realizes that his greatest need is for forgiveness. And humbly, he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, done deal. I will see you at the dawn of a new day in a few hours in heaven with me. Do you need a new day in your life? Are there things that you are ashamed of? Are there needs in your life that have gone unmet for a long time? Do you have the assurance that you are heaven bound? Or has it just been a nice thought that you've trickled in your mind? I want to encourage you to take a trip to the tomb and bring to Jesus, a risen Jesus, what you need. We're going to do that in a moment. But first, last night, eight people gave their lives to Christ for the very first time. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can just say this, God came in the person of Jesus Christ to show his love and mercy to you. Some of you tonight, this morning, need to say yes to that relationship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you came into this world not to judge the world, but to save us. And right now, you may have never established a relationship where you have asked for the love and mercy of God, but this morning is your morning. This morning can be the dawn of a new day in your life where you don't have God's condemnation upon you, but rather you have his spirit dwelling in you to change you. Where you have his spirit working in you to meet needs that only he can meet in your life. And to give you the assurance that you are heaven bound. If you have never said yes to Jesus Christ, if you've never committed yourself to Jesus Christ, would you just say this simple prayer? God, I, am, I admit that I've, I'm ashamed of things. I've done some things that I'm not proud of. And they haunt me, God. But I believe that you came, that you lived, that you died on the cross 
for my sins. And that you resurrected to prove that what I entrust to you, you keep forever. And so right now, God, like that thief on the cross, I want to say these words. Remember me when I come into your kingdom. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, in your own hearts, with an attitude and a heart of humility, will you take out the Easter communication card? And on the back of it, will you check the appropriate box just saying, I'm committing my life to Christ. And will you just throw it in the offering basket? And in the first part of the week, I'll just mail you some literature that'll help you understand. I'll be glad to meet with you and talk with you and help you on your journey as you experience the dawn of a new day. Lord, we give you this. We thank you for this Easter morning. In your son's name we pray, amen.